I gotta take a little time A little time to think things over I better read between the lines In case I need it when I'm older Now this mountain I must climb Feels like the world upon my shoulders But through the clouds I see love shine It keeps me warm as life grows colder Box Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with the full crew. We have Wayne and Katya and Hannah. How's it going, guys? Hey. You know. It's going. Yeah. You know, mostly in coma. Well, he, 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 you, you, you can tell we're all in the middle of holiday cheer. Yeah. yeah. It's between Christmas and New Year. It's like, what do you want from us? I barely know my name this week. Right I saw now. there was a. I saw somebody tweet that it's like this is what uh, this is like the, the the national week of hangovers, where basically just everyone is constantly <laughs> eating junk food, hanging out in sweats, and like doesn't want to talk to anybody. Look, Star Wars came out. Little Women came out. What else is there to live for? I didn't real. I didn't realize we were living for Little Women. Um, Little Women is one of the see greatest. I, I just don't know that I would say that I I was living for it. I would say I was living for Little Women, but I'd probably get arrested. <laughs> um, oh. Hannah, yeah. gonna say? I'm just, I'm just <laughs> changing subject. I, everyone's just like, and 180 degrees. Look, every year since I was like eight until I was at the end of high school, I would read Little Women every year because it was one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. I lied to Josh earlier this year and told him that no one dies <laughs> <laughs> in order to keep a great literary spoiler from being like a thing. I, I, I convinced him when we watched the Ragnono writer version earlier, like that it was all happy and he was misremembering things from like vague things he'd heard about. Look, it just means a lot to me. Perhaps not as much as Star Wars. I'll grant you that. But it's like it's. That's a very high high bar in the look, the, the Hannah the Hannah Rogers universe. Look, everybody talks about Jane Eyre or Jane Austen. We should be talking more about Louise May Alcott, which I mean, like I guess Americanist too, but still. Anyway, <laughs> I, I was going to say like you should just be an Americanist. <laughs> I I will not be an Americanist for one novel. Anyway, I heard it was good. I haven't seen it, and I haven't read that book in thirty years. Yeah, it's been a very long time. I do want to go out and see it because it does look good. I like Greta Gerwig a lot. So, you know, <laughs> she, I mean, as anybody who listens to this show knows that she directed one of my favorite films. So, you know, Lady Bird. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Right. I'll have to go catch it. So, Matt, so. What, what are we here for? 
Well, we're going to talk about, well, I don't know. We, I don't know if we're going to talk about Little Women or not, because this is this is something that I thought would be interesting. Um, every podcast in the world, you know, on the last week of the year, the year between New Year, uh, Christmas and New Year's, uh, does a best of 2019 or whatever year you happen to be on. And I thought it would be fun for us to do that, except since we're, you know, since we're a pop culture show. I didn't want to do the thing where it was like, and the best stuff that came out of 2019 was Avengers and Mandalorian and Star Wars and watch me, you know, like I figure most of our listeners have all seen the really big pop culture things. And we so, talked about them. Yeah. And we talked about them. It's like, oh, there was a Game of Thrones finale. And whether you think it's good or not, but like no one we, thinks it's good. Let's stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I thought what would be interesting instead is to let's talk about some pop culture stuff that maybe doesn't get as much press as everything else, right? Like rather than say, so not necessarily the absolute best of 2019, but stuff that we individually really liked that we think people should check out. So sort of the also rands of 2019, here's something that yeah, probably should have been one of the best things of 2019, but I was the only person who saw it <laughs> or not necessarily, but it wasn't as popular as a star war. Yeah, and, and we were talking a little before we, we started recording that, that because we're all behind in everything, this kind of includes, it's not necessarily stuff that came out in 2019, but stuff that we discovered in 2019. Yeah. So, so like little women, no, I, I didn't just discover little women. But, uh, <laughs> the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am catching up on my classic literature. Right. Especially like, I don't know, at least I think I'm the least app. Like I'm, the, I'm the least skilled at actually staying current with pop culture. So like my, I was having to break my brain trying to find things that actually came out this year that I enjoyed or that like were particularly stood out. So I was like, oh, sorry, guys. Uh, I was making a list of things I missed in 2019, not things our listeners missed. And it's just all these books I wanted to read. Like I got halfway through a graphic novel by Tilly Walden called Are You Listening? about two women who go on a magical realist road trip with a cat through Texas. That's good so far. Which really should be at the head of, just based off of that <laughs> synopsis, should be at the top of everyone's reading list. Yeah. Uh, also, like, I want to read Colson Whitehead's The Nickel Boys. Also, Salman Rushdie has a new novel um, that, like, is playing around with Don Quixote. Uh, also, Call Me By Your Name has a sequel that's like, like the novel, not the movie has a sequel that I saw in a bookstore when I went shopping for a present, but I haven't had time to read any of those things. So, so, so Hannah is pre previewing the things you missed 2020 list. <laughs> <laughs> the things Hannah missed. Hey man, we're graduating next, next year. So next calendar year, not next <sighs> academic year. Just, just hey, crossing fingers, my fingers. Crossed, I, yeah. I, like, don't know, I don't know. I don't if that's know. Happen. I want that to happen next year. I, it's not, you're not graduating um, until you've defended the dissertation. Right. Hey man, it's scheduled. It's happening. Come hell or high water. If I have to stab people. That's perfect. Cause these are things that are keeping me sane when I'm taking a break from dissertation, writing and editing, which is the all consuming horribleness of my life right now. So yeah. Don't, do not recommend. <laughs> I do recommend. I think everybody should do it because I like sharing my misery. So <laughs> you should do it if it's the kind of thing that speaks to you deeply and you're kind of neurotic, but like. Which we are. You could tell. <laughs> no, grad school self selects for a bizarre bunch of humans. 
who are delightful but weird. Yeah. And probably we're all a little unstable. Uh, I feel like you know, all of our listeners are probably thinking at least they're self-aware. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> that means we're not crazy, right? You're only crazy if you don't think you're crazy. I tell myself. Uh, who wants to start? So to kick it off, I actually aforementioned... Uh, caveat that not everything we're talking about came out in 2019 definitely applies um, because this is a game that has been kicking around since 2016 which we have mentioned before on the show but not in depth called slime rancher it's the greatest video game greatest video game like you should definitely play it but basically like brief synopsis is you are a interplanetary farmer person who's going and collecting adorable bouncy slimes and farming them and somehow making a living off of this. And it's beautiful <laughs> and wonderful and everything is so it's it's like it's feel good gaming. And it's one of those things that I heard about before, but never got around to playing and I played it. I will say one thing, though, if somehow anyone who is involved in the creation of the Slime Rancher VR simulation is listening to this, you fucked up. <laughs> the one reason you would play Slime Rancher VR is so that I can walk up to a slime and hug it and it will make an adorable noise. Guess what you can't do in Slime Rancher VR? You cannot hug the slimes. This what do you is... do to them? Do you just like see them like sitting there? No, you just like you just like, can pick them up and you can throw them and like with your little like sucker gun thing that you use. So you use like basically, you know, like in, in Ghostbusters, like the, the backpack situation where they yeah, you have basically one of those where you store slimes in your in your backpack kind of situation. So you can like suck them up with those, but you can't like hug them. I'm like, this is all I want to do is hug a slime. And you can't do that unless they've made some updates since I played it. But I refuse to play it again until I I know for a fact they have that update because it ruined it, it ruined that moment. I, I was so looking forward to it and I died. But anyway, you should totally play Sly Rancher. It's adorable. It's a feel good game. It's it actually has a female protagonist, but they don't do it in a shitty way or a <laughs> self congratulatory way. It's beautiful and it's adorable. And there's slimes with cat ears. It's so good. It does. It's just so good. There are, and they, you can have multiple cats. And also there are tiny firefly slimes that are purple. And they there are grow. tiny firefly slimes. I like the bee honeycomb ones, personally. Oh, they're super great. There's electrified slimes. It's just, it's, it's all around adorable. You know, if you, mm-hmm. like, if you're one of those people that enjoys, like, Stardew Valley or any of the other farm simulators because it's, like, soothing games... This is this is this is your jam. It's and actually to it's go back so to our farm episode and talking about like the relationships in those games. A thing I like about Slime Rancher that like is still a problem in Stardew Valley and Harvest Moon for me is you have to like court people in really weird like gift exchangey ways in those games to make them be your friends and to like be in romantic relationships with you. Slime Rancher, you don't do that. You just catch slimes. <laughs> I'm, yeah, there's, not really other, there's not really like there's other NPCs that you sort of like communicate long distance, but you never really see another NPC, which yeah. is great. Like not only is it antisocial as a game in that I just could just sit in my living room in my pajamas and play this game, but even within the game, it's kind of antisocial, which is beautiful. I don't have to interact with anyone. I just I just get to hang out with slimes. I think you're, you're saying so much about yourself right now. <laughs> I mean, is anyone really surprised? I like adorable things, and I'm mostly antisocial. Like, but yeah, Slime Rancher is beautiful, and they're still doing, I believe, updates for it and seasonal things. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's still technically kind of new. They update it. <laughs> I think it counts. It's also adorable enough that I kind of, I kind of want to play. So you should play. I know. I even have one of the plushies that someone got me for my birthday. 
It's so good. I will add my 2017 tabletop game to the list. Okay. Because uh, we just discovered it this year. Uh, Spirit Island, which we mentioned on the Empire Show mm. at the very end. But Katya and I have now like played it. And actually, uh, I got it for Christmas. So now I own it. And um, if you didn't listen to our Empire game show, the like con- the concept of um, Spirit Island is like a game that the creator like sat around and he was like, huh, there are all these games about conquering people. But what if like the land fought back? So he decided to like create this game where you play as like a spirit of the island and each spirit has different powers and you protect the island from the invaders. Um, and you also protect the native people. And there are some like issues with the game that we'll talk about more in depth in another episode, like the fact that you play a spirit and the native people are kind of rendered powerless and you just push around their mushroom huts. But it's actually really like interesting. <laughs> also, they have mushroom huts. Yeah. Which is like delightful. It's a really interesting like twist on the traditional Empire game. It's also a cooperative board game. So you know you you work with the other players and like each turn is like very involved um and really great for people interested in strategy. Um also interested interesting to play with people who are not just into strategy um because like you can work together with people who are better at the game than you because like we worked with like a person who played before and he like helped guide us through and helped us look at the different options and it's two to four players and the more players you have the harder it gets actually i am surprised i love this game so much because as everyone who's ever listened to the show knows i'm a little bit competitive and we've actually never won a game of spirit island Yeah, Spirit Island, I will say this, like, it's a difficult, it can be like, a, it's a difficult game to, like, get started on because it's very complicated, but once you get, get it kind of, like, in a rhythm, it's really good, actually. I enjoy it. And it's for, like, gamer people who are interested, like, into, like, tabletop game mechanics, I think it's, like, a really, um, like Hannah was saying, like, they've solved the challenge that, like, sort of inverting how video or not video games, but like tabletop game uh, mechanics normally work in that they've made it more collective and anti-colonial or at least attempted to in a way that's really interesting. And I think like I'm not as well versed in board games and tabletop games, but um, it's at least it's at least a form that I've never seen before. I mean, yeah, sure. There, there, there are like other cooperative games, but it, it, you know, it's it's really cool. And also, I I really love how like hard it is to beat the game because like decolonization is a really like hard and hard. serious thing. Um, so I like that the game doesn't like shy away from that, and also it like has this like environmental component. So it like talks about how you know once you like start colonizing, industrializing, like the land is ruined. Um, and you know that that also plays into like a lot. I think a lot of like tabletop narrative games about Empire because a new game root that we've also talked about, which also has an interesting game mechanic because each player has different rules they play by. It's, it's symmetrical. Uh, like the whole conceit there is like the capitalist cats have moved into the forest and they're like ruining it because they're together. I'm surprised that didn't make it on. Uh, I mean, I think like in the I think in the board game world, like root was like the big thing on Kickstarter and Spirit Island. Oh, okay, fair um, enough. Spirit Island, like, does have, um, like, some expansions, and it's also, like, now currently, like, they're raising money um, for a digital version. Oh, cool! So, soon, it will not just be a tabletop game. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out. I'd be interested to see how it translates. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super interested in it. It's still, like, an ongoing thing. So, there we are. 
Spirit Island for all you board game nerds who listen to this show. All three of you. <laughs> there's probably actually yeah. I know there's I know there's more than three. Board games probably. are awesome, dude. Yeah, they are awesome. More people should play. Even if you're not a board, even if you're not a board game person, like it's great. Like grab some people, get some beer, hang out, play games. Apparently, and studies show, and like there's always a stay like this. Your relationship with your partner is better if you play board games together. Cool. Because I feel like sometimes my relationships with my partners are not are not are not as good if we play games together. Mainly because we get very very competitive. Yeah, I like Josh keeps wanting me to play diplomacy, and I keep saying no because I love him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I, I I wonder if stabbing happens when people play diplomacy with their loved ones. <laughs> that seems, that seems, yeah, that seems dangerous. Anyway, Wayne, do you have one? I'm going to throw a movie in there. Uh, in okay. spite of all the big blockbusters and that sort of thing, there was a a small, I don't know if it's independent film. I tend to use the word independent to describe anything that's not a giant blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So probably not true. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a movie I saw this summer called Blinded by the Light. Yes. That I, I really, that may have been my most enjoyable movie moment this year because it wasn't the giant blockbuster. Um our, our friend Danny from uh, Sectarian mm-hmm. Review podcast uh, wrote an article about this, and he loved it. Uh, it's essentially it's a, a young Pakistani man in Great Britain in the 1980s who, oddly enough, falls in love with the music of uh, Bruce Springsteen. And oh yeah, I saw the I, I, I saw the pre- the previews for it. It looked yeah. really good. And it it, 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 it yeah. speaks to him, you know, and. Like I and you know, disclaimer, Danny. The thing Danny wrote, you know, he he is a huge Springsteen fan. I'm not. I've never disliked him, but I, I you know, I've never been a fan fan in the way that the uh, the main character of this movie is. And it's based on a real life story. They they had photos in the credits. They have photos of the the real person with Bruce and and whatever. Um, but so I'm sure if you're a if you're a Springsteen fan, I'm sure it connects on more levels than it did for me. But what connected for me is just I'm a fan of music and how well it conveys that sense of when you discover that thing that just speaks to you, that just gives words to an internal life that you didn't know. Um, and I just I mean, I've had that happen off and on throughout my entire life as a fan of music. And I thought this conveyed that so well. It was also just a really good look at small working class family in, in Great Britain in the 1980s and uh, dealt um there was issues of racism and and uh, you know, politics that tied in very specifically to what's going on in the world right now. Uh, it just it really clicked for me on lots and lots of levels that I, that surprised me. So yeah, I I really liked it. I, I thought like honestly a bit of it was uneven, but it didn't stop it from being yeah a good film. Uh, the director's Gurinder Chada, who did Bennett like Beckham and Bride and Prejudice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really like I like the things that she does with her work. Um, and I think that like it it's not an independent film in the sense of what people really say independent films is distributed by New Line Cinema. But it got oh, overshadowed yeah. by um, yesterday because it came out at a similar time and people were like, oh, these are like the same because of like some very yeah. superficial like mm-hmm. um, similarities. But they're really not. They're extremely different films. Mm-hmm. It um, did. Uh, it did well at Sun. I I haven't seen it. I want to. It's on my list. I I believe it did yeah, really well, well at Sundance. Um, that year. I don't know mm. if it won anything, but it was. But that's where it premiered. So 
It's, it is supposed to be very good. I have heard. I did read Danny's article as well, and I've heard lots of good things about it. Yeah, I just I say I found it very moving, and I, I related to just that idea of just discovering music that speaks to you, whatever that music happens to be. And the other movie that I, I really liked this year was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and once again, uh. it was un, it was uneven. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I have real mixed feelings about. Uh, Tarantino in general uh, and was quite honestly surprised I liked this one as much as I did. Some of it is just I, that era, that time and place is something that I'm interested in so it just it, it tapped into a lot of those interests for me as well. Oh, I feel I feel so bad now. Uh, just I, I, I think my perhaps my, one of my least favorite films I saw this year was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> and I, I and I feel like it might be Tarantino's most conservative film, and I hmm. just like it. It it was. It, I think that he maybe didn't mean for it to be this, but it just seemed like he was he was propping up like grand old Hollywood and oh, like he, the it, western it was, it was, like. It was a love letter to Hollywood. Yeah, it's it's a love letter to filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, like this is his version of La La Land. Yeah, and in such a way that like it is extremely uncomfortable. If like you're not okay with with you Mm -hmm. like with the like you know white man hero like in a particular like macho sense um, that was like the you know the big like western star and Mm -hmm. also just the portrayal of Bruce Lee was just really offensive. Um, and, um, you know, I just, I don't like Tarantino though. Like I've like caught his <laughs> heard me like whine about how much I dislike yeah. Tarantino. So you've done another show. I mean, so I mean, I don't think, I think it's okay to, to disagree on these. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I, I liked it. It's not my favorite thing of his, but I think Hannah feels very similar to his, probably his most acclaimed movie now is Inglorious Bastards. And I hated yeah. Inglorious Bastards. I, I thought it was so self-indulgent. Movie. It's kind of overrated though. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, it was so self-indulgent. I this, still I like, haven't seen it. And that was one that there was nothing about any of the trailers or whatever that made me want to see that movie. I was sort of actively avoided Inglorious Bastards. I, I saw it and I was just like, this is this is massively overrated. And, and it was just like, I see what he's doing here and I do not care. And it's like, why? Why do people love this? But I mean, it is it was interesting in that it was a departure from his original. I mean, it's still stylistically Tarantino, but it was a departure from his original way of filmmaking with his Reservoir Dogs, his Kill Bill, mm-hmm. his, his Pulp Fiction into new Tarantino, which is. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained, um, Hateful Eight. Like he, he is, he is thematically different in his latter career than he was in his opening career. But I just didn't, that one did not catch me. I was yeah. just like, I don't. And this yeah. one. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not making any claims it's the best movie of the year by any yeah. long stretch of the imagination. I just, I was surprised I liked it as much as I did more than anything else. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was. I think Hannah's right. I think it's his love letter to Hollywood, Mm -hmm. which, you know, if you're not into that sort of thing, it's going to turn you off right away. Mm -hmm. But then it becomes weird because it's not it, it, you know, a true love letter to Hollywood. You expect it to be La La Land. And in a lot of ways, it is La La Land. It's just that it's La La Land. If Quentin Tarantino made it. So there's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of, you know, 
foot fetish stuff and then there's a bloodbath yeah, <laughs> you know? and, 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 <laughs> it, it, and it's not without its problem certainly yeah yeah. Oh, and so. I gotta say, I really hated La La Land too. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I was kind of guessing you. La La Land. Well, I was kind of guessing you would, which is sort of the thing. Like, if you're if you're just sitting there and celebrating, like La La Land is literally two hours of we're Hollywood and ain't we grand? You know, yeah. like that's. But you know, that's what I, it is. I I really love L.A. Confidential. It's an added depth of misogyny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love L.A. Confidential with with the exception of Kevin Spacey. Um, <laughs> Even but, before. No, no, I just, just what it's now just particularly because of like his role and like storyline, it's particularly uncomfortable now. Um, mm-hmm. and never like, I mean, he clearly like had charisma and like I could see why he was cast, but it's, it's uncomfortable to watch now. But I think the reason why I love LA Confidential is because it's a movie that is sort of a love letter to Hollywood, but also isn't like this isn't grand. This is actually real bad. And yeah. And like, if you continue to like live in this way with this toxic masculinity, you're going to tear yourself apart. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if you are the person who benefits from the system. Anyway, it should have won instead of Titanic. We've gone way off topic. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, if you want another movie that, that's like that, I, I'd go with the, um, the 2006 Black Dahlia film, which is again, here's the negative side of, of Hollywood. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're, you're right. We're going off topic. I haven't picked one yet. Wayne has two and I haven't picked one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm go- I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with a movie that I adored this year that I thought was going to be huge and it came out to some critical fanfare and then went away the next week. I don't know how how bad or good it did, but it, but it just did not maintain the kind of um, fanfare that you that you that I expected it to. And that was Good Boys. Good Boys. I really want to see that. Directed by Gene Stupnitsky and it's his first film produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, but they're the producers. So they're not They're Unlike most of the films that they produce, it does not star them and they did not write it, but it is their um, their studio that produced it. It is amazing. It is um, it stars. Uh, well, it stars a bunch of people that no one cares about, but um, but because they're child actors and the only one that's famous is Jacob Tremblay. And Jacob Tremblay, for those who don't know, is the little boy who starred opposite Captain Marvel <laughs> in Room, <laughs> um, opposite Brie Larson in Room. Um, he's slightly older now. And the premise of this movie is what if we took the movie Hangover or Superbad or any of the film, you know, Porky's, any of the films exactly like that, you know, this quest movie. But we made it, you know, this this um this, you know. Well, like Hangover is a movie about man children trying to relive their glory days. Right. But what if we did this movie, but we made it about actual 13 year olds? So so that's the premise. That's the premise of this film There's three, three kids who are they're not the biggest nerds, but they're not the cool guys either. They're just three kids in middle school and they're 12, 13 ish. And they get invited to their first middle school party. And it's a kissing party. So they go on and none of them have ever kissed before. So this is them going on a journey originally to find out, you know, they're, they're trying to spy on their neighbor who's in high school or one of their neighbors who's in high school to um, to watch her kiss her boyfriend so they can figure out how to kiss. And they're using the one kid's uh, dad's uh, drone. And then they crash the drone and and they have to go and replace it. So it's literally the story of these three 13 year old boys 
trying to get money and get to a mall to replace a drone that belongs to this father before the father gets home in but it's I mean, like, so I mean, sure, I've spoiled the premise for you, but it doesn't matter because it's the kind of film where it's just what kind of hijinks do they get in on the way to trying to do this? But instead of like saving a wedding or or trying to have sex or something, it's literally this kid's goal is just to get to this party where maybe spend the bottle is going to be played. Right. Like that's that's his entire life goal for the movie. But since he's 12, it is the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, so the trailer really grabbed my attention. I really mm-hmm. wanted to see it, but like you said, it was in theaters here for like a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, and I think <laughs> that. And when you watch it, like, so it, the other thing with the trailer is the trailer sort of makes it out to be like I think the trailer was like, "Hey, kids movie with some swearing in it," so we're gonna sell it like it's um super like it's bad, a, yeah. yeah, like it's American yeah. Pie or super bad. Yeah, it is not. It is yeah. just you know, it is. I mean, they do they do swear a lot. They actually curse a lot, but in a very thirteen year old way where they don't necessarily use the words correctly. Not horribly off, but there's a lot of. Hey, but in the way, like an actual thirteen-year-old was. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I was actually very surprised. I saw it. I was actually oh. very surprised um, about how they handled it because the trailer made it look much like raunchier and like more. Yeah, yeah adult. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, this description yeah. makes me want to go see it. It was rated mm-hmm. R, um, so obviously it was yeah. like for adults. But it was like it was more. Ad- they made it seem more adult um, and like made these kids seem like bad, and it was just going to be this like joke. But actually, I think that they really like ended up conveying like something really like beautiful and heartbreaking at the end about growing up and like yeah. kind of we're doing the same thing toy story 4 was trying to do except they did it much better because toy story mm-hmm. 4 might have made me cry but i was i don't think they did it very well and it's not that mm-hmm. good in hindsight whatever i'm over it um <laughs> anyway i agree um and yeah. i think it's actually much better than the hangover or super bad yeah oh w- yeah way better it's way better than those other movies because it's 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 real like every that happens in good boys is something that under the right set of circumstances could legitimately happen to a bunch of 13 year olds it's not like a crazy you know we're gonna go through vegas and go on to um bangkok and you know all the stuff that happens in hangover it's very localized the entire movie other than the last other than the last 10 minutes the entire movie happens over the course of what would you say like three hours like maybe more like six yeah, because but it's, like it's like it's just like a day. It's like a day in the life of these kids. Yeah, a and very it's, important day. Yeah, and it's just and it's just about like um well, so here one of the one of the without without spoiling it, one of the premises of the film is these are my, you know, these are my boys. Um where the beanbag boys is what they call their group because they hang out on beanbags in one of their basement. And they're my best friends. And the movie teaches you when you're 12, are your best friends really your best friends or are they just the kids of your parents' best friends? And it's in the movies about learning that and learning, you know, what you're going to be as a person as you enter junior high or high school or you know, whatever. It is great. And, and it's not a gross out movie the way it makes it seem like they, you know, they'll say stuff about sex, but they really don't know how sex works. They'll say stuff about drugs. They have no idea how drugs work. And, and that's kind of part of the joke. It's the the childhood innocence that you're just starting to lose on the list. Yeah, I, you, you convinced me to possibly go see that. Yeah, it's great. You'll have to rent it because, it, like, you know, like Wayne said, it was in theaters for like a, sure. like five minutes, <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth the rental. Um, So I have a couple of movies that were also kind of like limited release things. Should we go into that? Sure. Um, so I actually thought this was much more of a limited release, and it turned like I think it actually was. But um, Jojo Rabbit, 
Yes. Which I was very into. I know, like, I mean, it was nominated for a Golden Globe and all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. so it's not, like, unheard of. Um, but it is a kind of funky comedy drama, and there was mixed reviews in response to it because it is about a young boy who is a member of the Hitler Youth. And as a comedy, understandably, a lot of people sort of, like, turned off by the idea of making Nazis funny. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think that they're, like, I... I I I, under, I understand that position to a large degree, but I think there was also something. I think what I I enjoyed about that movie, aside from it being a generally well made film, and I really enjoyed the aesthetic, which was very reminded me actually of a like Wes Anderson film a lot, mm-hmm. is that I think it did a really good job of being critical while not actually demonizing like the everyday people who were in Hitler's Germany. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the things that often happens in, I mean, well, actually, since we talk about Inglorious Bastards, like so often in movies like that, it's just basically like people, like Germans are made out to be like the archetypal evil person. And it's like, well, like, sure, but there's like, there, like, first of all, that's not all of Nazi Germany. And part of the movie is about basically this young boy who is a member of the Hitler Youth because, I mean, He's and he's fanatical about it, but it's basically because everything, um, like everyone around him is. There's no other real option. It's what's normal. Mm-hmm. And he finds out that his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl, and he finds out basically that his parents are part of the, like the Nazi resistance. Like his father is actually gone. You're not entirely sure why, but it sounds like he's basically working with the French to overthrow um, Nazi Germany, and basically it causes him to have this kind of in a similar actually kind of way you're talking about with good boys like have this moment of like he's becoming an adult and questioning what his allegiances are and what his sense of ethics are and sort of this transition of going from being like a straight up kid to actually having an awareness of not only what's going on around him but his his role in it Mm. um i don't know i just thought it was like a really it was like a very and it was a very sad film and i think it was also I think this for me, it was also a story that I don't think you could have told as a drama Um, because I think there is something really hard about even though he's a kid, which I think makes it a little bit different of a story. There's something really hard about humanizing Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like when I think it's like it's a it's a story about a kid and it's Mm -hmm. a story about a kid who like doesn't like isn't actually a Nazi. Like he's he's technically like he's officially a Nazi. But like when he he actually gets down to it, like he's. Yeah, he doesn't actually know what that means. And when he's actually asked to do the things that the Nazis are asked, being asked to do, like he doesn't want to. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, highly recommend. It is definitely a film that I think is also a really interesting discussion. So if you go see it with some people. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed yeah, it. Also, uh, I want to point out that it actually is a book, um, but mm-hmm. in yeah. adapting it, they turned it into a comedy. And if you go on like Goodreads or something and read the reviews, all these people are like, this book is horrible. It's terrible. <laughs> and I think it might, I think that, that maybe what you're talking about, the change of tone is to a comedy is what elevated. And it also reminded, when I watched it, it reminded me of Life is Beautiful, which is an Italian film, which is also yeah. a comedy set during the Holocaust, which also came under controversy. And different kind of comedy, but yeah, yeah. Different kind of comedy from a, from literally the different perspective because it's, um, about, it's about a survivors. Jewish, yeah, it's about a well, Jewish family. Not, yeah. And, I think that like what 
is really interesting about the use of comedy in these like really tragic and horrifying situations is like it's not like these films don't look at the brutality of what is happening. They like the comedy yeah, actually. Kind Rabbit of, is not yeah. a happy movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it like throws that kind that it throws that brutality I think into a, like a much starker relief when those like tragic moments yes. become crystallized. In my opinion, I think it's and I think there's also I mean one of the things that. I mean, I understand why people are are hesitant about the the humanizing Nazi kind of thing, but like, first of all, but I think it's also problematic to be like, we're not going to humanize Nazis. It's like, well, but part of what's terrifying about the Holocaust is like, these were people that did this. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, I think that like movies that don't acknowledge that in some ways, like are doing the same thing from the opposite end. And I think there's something really interesting about like, so Jojo Rabbit, his imaginary friend is Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, and but he's also like, yes, he's Hitler. But his imaginary friend is also the same way any other, like the imaginary friend of any other like 10 year old boy. He's Mm -hmm. goofy and like nothing. He doesn't make sense. And he's like a cartoon of a person. And the movie is constantly usually what they're making fun of actually is like the logic of Nazi Germany Mm -hmm. and pointing out like how often the things that were in propaganda and the way that the, the like the way that Nazi Germany sometimes functioned was actually like basically the farcical aspects of fascism that aren't logical and don't make sense. And then they just take it to an extreme to make fun of it. And um, for, for anybody who doesn't know, this is, this film's directed by Taika Waititi, who mm-hmm. probably, yeah. probably for our, for our listeners is most notable for directing Thor Ragnarok, but he's just brilliant in general. Beasts of the Southern Wild. He also directed some of, of the Mandalorian episodes and he stars, Oh, he's in a vo- in voice role as uh, he's the voice of IG eighty eight on Mandalorian, but um, but yeah, he's great director. Yeah, and it's a really smart movie, and I think like there's not a lot of movies I say that about. I think mm-hmm. um, I think especially because like it's a movie you can actually discuss and have some really interesting discussions, even with people like myself who are not film nerds, mm-hmm. which to me is is a mark of a good movie. Uh, I do have another movie, which is The Farewell. This I don't know. It was so good. So I thought this, see, I thought this is another movie that actually had the opposite problem. I thought it had a much wider release than it actually did. But The Farewell is basically about uh, a Chinese family that has moved to the United States. Um, the main character is, is name is Billy. And her family basically goes back to China for supposedly a wedding. But this wedding is actually basically made up in order for everyone to go back to say goodbye to their grand, her grandmother, um, who happens to be dying of cancer and they don't tell the grandmother. So she's, so the grandmother is the only one that knows that she's been given like weeks to live or the Mm. only one that doesn't know, excuse me. Um, and it's about, so one, it's about like saying goodbye to like a very beloved matriarch. And then it's also about sort of like the ethical clash between, like the China, like the they're not uh, like the the Chinese family, and then the the now Chinese American family, the ones that are living in the United States. And there's this there's like all these moments where like even though they're originally from China, and I believe everyone was born in China, the ones that moved the family has moved to the United States, they identify as American. Whereas even the ones that have moved to other countries and their family, like I think there's uh, one of the families is moving living in Japan. They're like we no like no we are Chinese. Um, mm. 
And there's these constant sort of negotiations of what does that mean and what does that mean ethically? Because the main character, Billy, who I believe is a very in this in the movie is a very young girl when they move to the United States. So most of her life is in the United States. Like she's constantly wanting to tell her grandmother because she thinks it's awful that they're lying. Um, Cause she feels like they're lying to her. And there's this constant ethical question of like, no, it is actually the kind thing to let, not let her know. Mm-hmm. Um, which also watching the movie, I want to go watch it again. Cause I'm also not convinced that the grandmother doesn't know. I think she kind of like clicks to it. Um, so I, I want to just make a note that if you think that it's far fetched that like someone wouldn't be told her own diagnosis, like this is like a thing that happens. Like well, that happens in all kinds of yeah. cultures. Like yeah, yeah. even within just, my own extended family, like that's happened. And like yeah, uh, it's like I mean, because it's I, I I get it on some level where it's like okay, so if you if you know or believe that you know that someone's dying like is it kinder to tell them so they can prepare themselves or is it kinder to just sort of like let it happen and let them live them lives until then and they um, and they like you know argue about this and I, I thought it would be an extremely sad film and i just cry the whole time but it is really not i mean it's, it's, it's of course it's, dealing with it's a sad moment. film that's also a very happy film it's like i i like i can't remember the last time i saw a movie that was like about like being a family in a way that felt very like even though i'm not chinese there were a lot of things like my extended family is mainly eastern european and there were a lot of things i'm like sort of like oh like i recognize this Mm-hmm. like even though this is culturally very different to me like the family dynamics and the conflicts and everything like it, it like it's very familiar and very heartwarming even while it's sad and complicated and about kind of like the messiness of international relationships and families and also intergenerational relationships and sort of like just just family drama i don't uh, yeah i really enjoyed it hmm. definitely have to check that out yeah Anna, you have any movies i i have more movies than I should be on my list, so I will stick to the rules. And <laughs> um, so this actually was a wide release film, um, but not very many people saw it. Uh, Ready or not, and I don't like horror films because they don't scare me, and I find them mostly boring. See my comments on The Shining. We don't need to relitigate that. <laughs> Ready or not is a really fun film. Uh, and when I describe the premise to you, you will be like, "Oh yeah, of course she likes this." Um, So it's about a young woman who grew up in foster care and like didn't have a family and she meets this guy and falls in love and he just so happens to be heir to like a family fortune and that family fortune is built on a gaming empire. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they get married in this big lavish wedding and she like gets inducted to the into the family and there's this ritual that they do where she has to pull a card and they play a game and you might have seen trailers for this and yes. she picks the card for hide and go seek and when you pick the card for hide and go seek that means that the person who picks that card is a sacrifice that the family has to kill to maintain their wealth and they make a sacrifice to satan because you know capitalism is literally the devil um so they like the family like hunts her down and she has to like evade them and it's like a horror movie but also a comedy it's very much in the vein of clue a lot of people compared the excellent movie knives out to clue but it's really not it's more agatha christie this is actually like a clue spiritual sequel um it has big names like andy mcdowell in it but also like some new players um i really enjoyed watching it it was like it's also like also like there's so many films this year that 
really want to talk about like the ethics of like inherited wealth and this is one of those films and it's really fun and the ending's great and i wish i could tell talk about it without spoiling it but i can't so uh because i i actually really want to see this movie this was um like good boys this was a movie that i looked forward to it was in theaters for 35 seconds um it like it so six million dollar budget made 28 in america so it's actually not it's It's not a failure but it's not a but it's not it didn't blockbuster the way it did but it was critically acclaimed it's got like it's currently sitting at like 88 on rotten tomatoes um it is i mean this is the movie i very much want to see and it just it just got buried this summer it just it it got buried by other movies yeah but like there's like I, I mean, if you, I mean, there, there are some parts that are a little bloody if you're not into that, but mostly like, I think that it's very interested in the relationships between its characters and examining family dynamics and looking at, you know, money and wealth, like I said, um, in, in actually pretty smart ways. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I highly recommend it. There's like only one part where I actually like cringed in my seat from like, being made uncomfortable by the film but it that just meant the film was succeeding so anyway i'm not gonna spoil that um i then quickly want to mention parasite which like if you're a film buff you've probably heard of this movie Mm -hmm. um i am not going to describe parasite to you (laughs) (laughs) um you should go into the theater blind you might have heard it's a south korean film uh and it's been nominated for like a bunch of like best foreign language awards. If you are like worried about like watching a film in another language and it's not your thing, don't just go see it. It's been described as a horror movie. It isn't just go see it. Um, it, it is like so culturally specific, but also like, I think like speaks, um, to like a more global audience and like the box office has like shown that because of the themes it takes on. I, I have not been more surprised by a movie and had not been like knowing where it's going to go in many, many years. So I'm going to shut up about now. We're going to move on. <laughs> it won the Palme d'Or at, the, at, at, at Cannes, which means it's a good movie. The, like, that, that is a, that is, in many ways better than winning best picture at the Oscars. But like, um, you know, it's not a lot prestigious, of those, yeah. but it should be. <laughs> it should but be. A lot of those movies like that win mm-hmm. are not accessible to people who just like casually watch movies. This yeah. is not that film. This is so good. Like I this is not a movie that is like Tree of Life or something. Just yeah, just watch yeah, it. it. Just was... watch it. I, I have a dumb question. Yes. Mm-hmm. What what is the Palme d'Or actually awarded for? uh essentially best independent well not necessarily independent but best it's the best film at cans um and it won by unanimous vote but not best picture so that's different well it's not the oscar it's it, it, cans is oh, weird because okay, okay, got it. yeah See, cans this is, is where weird. We, we all yeah. are reminded yeah. that katina knows nothing about film things yeah uh, the cans film festival is weird in that there are multiple things that can't there are different awards that are the best picture in a different in one way or another um so you're usually sort of in a category that it's a whole nother show to explain like how the categories work so i'm not going to go into it but um but it is rare uh it is almost impossible for anybody to they're juried prizes so it's not like it's not like just voting it's like a jury um but it, it it won unanimously for the first time in I think blue is the warmest color was the last one to win that. And that was years ago. Um, it is, wow. it is rare. It is extremely rare for anything to win unanimously, but it is a, it is it is objectively a, a good film and no one's allowed to really argue. Um, I, there are no negative criti- yeah. There are no negative critical 
reviews, <laughs> as far as I know. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, no. Usually, usually, it, usually there are some because there's people who are, um, you know, who are sort of okay. It is currently sitting at a 99 percent on Rotten Tomatoes with 329 reviews. And I, I say Rotten Tomatoes is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this, they are they are actually correct in this case, and that's correct. It reflects the film. Also, yeah. it, you remember going to see Sorry to Bother You and like just seeing the yes, uniqueness and awesomeness of that film? It's, it's like that. <laughs> By the way, Sorry mm-hmm. to Bother You is on Hulu if anyone wants to catch that <laughs> film, which you probably missed. I think it's very weird, but I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, like, real quick, you should also watch Booksmart, which was, was directed yeah, by Olivia I was just going to say, okay. I want to throw in one last movie, which was Booksmart, which is what I was going to say. Um, and Booksmart. Which one's or, Booksmart? Booksmart is, I mean, again, if you're, if, if you listen to this show, you'll know that I love, uh, quirky coming of age comedies. I, like that is my thing. Booksmart is in many ways that, and in many other ways, it's sort of the, the sort of the antithesis of, of good boys. Booksmart, the, the basic premise is it is the last day of high school. It is. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember seeing it, it's about yeah. It's about two girls. It is the absolute. It is the last day of, of high school, and um, they. It, this is, I'm trying to give just trailer information. Uh, these two best friends, and they've gone through high school. You know, working their asses off in order to get into their top hey, colleges. Their nerd going girls don't want to cut loose. Well, they don't at first. They they actually don't. They're like oh. we are. They're like we are. You know, everybody else at our high school is lame, and they partied and did drugs or whatever the fuck they did. They they fucked around, but we worked hard, and we're going to Harvard because you know we because we worked hard and we devoted. You know, the fun fun happens when you're a grown up. High school is about work so that you can be in a best position to, you know, to um, to have a good life in college. And that's where all the fun starts. And they're happy that way until they just by chance discover that a, a kid who they assumed was an idiot, like the school slut, is also going to Harvard. And then they find out and then there's this kid who's like, you know, a jock and he's going to Stanford. And then there's this burnout and he's got a job at Google. Like he's he's skipping college, but he got hired for like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars directly. <laughs> you know, six figures, low six figures, like graduating magical high, school. Co- high school. Do these children go to? Well, that's the that, but that's the point. They they find out, hey, it hey, didn't matter. We were. Yeah, we worked our asses off, but all these other people had fun and they um and they also got into all these schools. So now they've decided we need to make sure we have fun on this one day. You know, we have literally 12 hours left. So we have to have the entire high school experience in 12 hours and we can do it because we're nerds and we studied how to do these things. And it's great. It, it seems oh, like right. ridiculous, but but it's but it's really about um, what's 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 interesting about it is it's really about the relationship between these two girls who are best friends but are very, very different from one another. And one of the most amazing, they're both nerds. Um, They have very different personalities. And one of the most amazing things about this movie to me is, Santa, you've seen it? Yeah, I've apparently seen every movie this year. Okay. Um, I think I, I would say, I would say Amy's the main character and she is, um, she is overweight. Um, and I don't think anybody mentions it at all. No, 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 that's that's Molly. Oh, that's Molly. Okay, Amy, yeah. yeah for, oh, Amy's the the Amy's the school slide. Yeah, yeah no, Molly no, no, is, no, no. 
Amy is her best friend. Amy is the best friend. Yes, uh, and Annabelle is nicknamed Triple okay. A, which they do, they do like they do address like that nickname and how demeaning it is, um, mm-hmm. without being preachy. Also, every joke in this movie lands. Yeah, in yeah. my opinion, really good. It's a different kind of coming of age story than the ones that I usually like it's about growing up. And next year, you're not going to be you're not going to be in high school anymore. So how do you maintain? I wouldn't I mean, the, the, the I mean, they're not romantically involved. They're best friends. But this most important relationship in my life is with my best friend. How is everything going to be different starting in three months? Really good. Any other movies? I mean, we all know that Serenity it's already was the greatest movie of all time for 2019. So. <laughs> all right. So the novel that I am pitching is called The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. And I love this book. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't get to read a lot for fun right now because any, you know, this, we talked a little bit about, every, you know, three of us are basically finishing dissertations right now. And that means that everything that you read is work. And this was not work for me. The it, it was it was something that's not related to my dissertation, but I just needed I need a break from something. I need to refresh my mind. I'm going to enjoy a book. This is a book that came out this year. It is it's not hard science fiction, but it is a speculative science fiction book. Um, there's not a lot of answers in it. It is the most brilliant book that you could possibly write about a bunch of people who are asleep. Um, <laughs> um, the premise is that there is this fictional town in, in, in California. Um, basically, I think it's supposed to be roughly in the valley, but that it, it's a town that doesn't exist, so it doesn't matter. But it's on the California coast. And one day, um, at this college, at this random, you know, fictional college, um, a girl, um, a girl comes home, you know, from a night partying and she goes back to her dorm and she um, passes out a- into a coma. And then in the morning, she's dead. She she dies. And everybody's like, oh, oh, well, I, I, I've heard of this. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. She drank herself to sleep. But then another girl passes out and then a boy on the floor. And then all these kids are just sort of passing out and they're not dying. They Most of them just go into comas. And then like over time, like a professor who works at the school uh, goes into a coma and now they've got an epidemic on their hands and they don't know what any what any of it's about. So it's just spreading out from this college to the entire town. People are falling asleep and so the town gets quarantined. You know, they, the government just basically, you know, cuts off the cuts off the city while they're trying to investigate what's going on. And you're following it's an anthology book where you're following all these characters around, um, essentially waiting for, you know, seeing as much of their story as you can see before they fall asleep. And there's interlocking stories. They don't necessarily all know each other. Like there's, um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can say there's a main character because it's an anthology series, but one of the first characters that you get into the head of is this um, this college freshman named May. And she later appears. um, There's another there's another character who is like a 14 year 13, 14 year old girl whose father has um, she's like 14 ish. She's got a 10 year old sister and their father has fallen into a coma. So it's these two girls, you know, fending for themselves. Um, and late, and there's a point in the book where they're helped by a couple of college students. And if you're paying attention, it's clearly 
characters from one of the other storylines, but they don't know their names. So you never find, so you never find out. And it's just, how does everyone deal with this problem? And then at the end, there's no answers as to what, I mean, they never discover what happened. Like there's sort of a couple of theories as far as like the science of it, but the science of it doesn't matter. It's literally about the human conditions and how do you deal with, um, you know, it's the kind of story that you might have if it was like, hey, California's breaking off into the ocean or there's a volcano or one of those disaster movies. But the disaster is very small scale and it's just this unexplained illness that's plaguing the town and like watching people essentially trying to live their lives as best they can while reacting to this mysterious illness. Mm, that's fascinating. I, I Yeah, I read a review of this or something because as you're describing, it's like that was on my list. And I never got to it. It's so good. Okay. It's absolutely amazing. And I, I, I you got to get it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, um, what's great about it, because um, I was reading I was reading some reviews after I'd heard about it. And then, you know, with books, I do the same kind of thing that I do with movies. I get to the point where I know if I want to see it or not. And then I stop reading reviews because I don't want anybody mm -hmm. to ruin anything for me. Um, and I was trying yeah. to be vague about it just now because I think everybody should read it. But um, one of the things that I can say, because there are some negative reviews about it, people, some people don't like it because they're like, this is overly sentimental. And if you go back to our episode, a couple of <laughs> weeks ago about sentimentalism, it is. It's an amazingly sentimental novel. It's all about feelings between people. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes it great and what makes it work is the language that Karen Thompson Walker is essentially a poet. The language in this book is it is so nice. engaging and lyrical and dreamy in a way mm. that sort of like it's not it's it's not written as poetry, but the voices that the characters have, because there's multiple narrators, depending on you know who you're seeing um, and the the voices of well, they're third person narrators, but you're in different heads. And the voices that match with the characters sort of give you a very real, very ethereal, very dreamy kind of status to, that makes you feel like, oh, wow. And like when, you know, and you come to feel for these people. And then when one of them actually, you know, because there are several characters of your main characters do eventually fall asleep and then they're just sort of out of the book because <laughs> they're asleep. And that's that's how it would be. You know, you fall victim to this disease. And like what and what happens now? And then you have to see their stories continued in other people's storylines. It's so great. So that's the book I recommend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have a couple of books um, before we get to comics. I, I, okay. First of all, I want to talk about just a wider genre, which includes lots of books. Um, something I, I've discovered recently and, and found a term online is rural noir which is, I guess, Southern Goth without the grotesqueries. Uh, <laughs> um, being from the hills and whatnot, like I, I spent the first half of my life wanting to get out of there. And now that I'm, I'm old, I'm reading books set there, uh, which I find psychologically weird. Uh, but is it nostalgia like, question mark? Maybe, maybe um, some of it is so much of what's happening at home, home. Uh, physically, just that the whole place is being destroyed by fracking and whatnot. And I have connections there and I, it's weird every time I go home and seeing this stuff going away. Uh, my elderly parents, you know, like I'm very aware of a certain sense of loss of the foundation of my youth that, that I can never recover. And surprise, hey, that happens to everybody to some degree or another. But uh, I, I've read several books set like that. I guess uh, Jillian Flynn, uh, Sharp Objects, kind of fits that category. Um, 
which is a book I like. There was a woman author by the name of Julia Haberlin, H-E-A-B-E-R-L-I-N. Read um, two books of hers this year that I liked a lot. Paper Ghosts, um, young, the, the protagonist when she was young, like seven or eight, her older sister disappeared and she has spent her life trying to figure out what happened to her. She just disappeared and she assumes she's dead. There is a old senile man in a home who had been arrested for killing people and she fully believes he killed her sister. So she goes to the rest home, poses as his daughter and signs him out and they go on a road trip of all the places she believes he killed somebody. Mm. And once they get him out of the home, you start wondering if he's really as senile as he lets on or if he's just fucking with her. Uh, it's really intense. <laughs> it is mm. really intense. Um, so like that one a lot. Um, another book called Mary Lou is Everywhere. M-A-R-I-L-O-U. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Um, I heard of it recently. Turns out the woman who wrote it, Sarah Elaine Smith, is from my home county graduated from my high school uh, my high my high school was mentioned on page three of the book uh, <laughs> it was odd reading this because i knew every place she talked about all the family names in the book are names from back home um and for and, the people who haven't heard us mention wayne's hometown in previous shows seven people live there yeah yeah, yeah it's something <laughs> like that um it's the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah it, it is so the middle of nowhere uh there is and the premise of it is a 14 year old girl accidentally assumes the identity of the missing daughter of a senile woman accidentally yeah accidentally she's just going over and the woman thinks she's your daughter and it's a better situation Ooh. than her home life so she stays wow. uh, That's brilliant. <laughs> and because it's pittsburgh and green county and the world is very small two days after i started reading this book i ran into the author at an event here in town <laughs> So, so, uh, I, I liked it a lot. So it also kind of fits in that rural noir kind of thing. So, so that's my, my rural noir books. Uh, <laughs> uh, you want to do comics because like yeah. you said, it's a good transition. I, I guess, you know, with that, I mean, the stuff that I'm hyping up is all the stuff that came to an end this year that, you know, I've been hyping wicked and divine for five years now, but it, it ended. So now's the time to read it, go back and read it. It's still one of my favorite books. And in many, many years, uh, my other and we, and we talked about Wicked and Divine in depth on a show on uh, with Natalie on mythic adaptation. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other one I've, I've been loving for the last several years is Giant Days, which also came to an end. So you can sit down and read all of it now. Um, I guess not all the trades are out yet. There's still two more in the pipeline, but um, still loving things like Raina Telgemeier. You know, her new book was called Guts. Um, most of the comics I read this year and really enjoyed were out of the mainstream. Um, we talked some about Hickman's X-Men, which I liked. Um, mm -hmm. Immortal Hulk's been good. You know, I've, I've liked Tom King's Batman, but in terms of the books that really moved me this year, some, I guess the new one this year is the, uh, Jonathan Hickman's Die. He's the, the writer of Wicked and Divine. And Die is a book about role-playing games, but it's really a, a deconstruction of role-playing and games. And it, it takes that classic Dungeons & Dragons cartoon idea of a group of kids are playing Dungeons & Dragons and they get sucked into their role-playing world and wacky adventures ensue. It's that, but by the second issue, he's standing that concept entirely on its head and doing some really, I think, kind of amazing things with it. 
I, I was on Comic Book Pit, uh, another podcast run by friends of ours. Uh, it's uh, Link, and who's been on our show, and Dan Greenwald, who's been on our show. They're both on this show regulars. So I was on their 2019 Comics and Review um, episode. Uh, I think the week before Christmas and uh, Link went in depth about um, I mean, I'll try to remember to link that in the show notes because he went in depth about Die as a comic and why it's why mm-hmm. he thinks it's one of the best books of the year. Yeah, I, I think I'm responsible for him reading that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a comic. My also not really mainstream comic because we're um you know i don't need to recommend batman or or or, right. or whatever or or hawk people know it know about those um i want to recommend a book that i read uh for academic purposes because i was uh, i was asked to do a review for an academic journal um but called stalingrad letters from the volga and this is this is going to call back to katia's thing about jojo rabbit Stalingrad Mm -hmm. is um, it is a book. The premise of it is it is the Battle of Stalingrad. Uh, For those who are not, it's by Antonio Gill and David and Daniel Ortega. For those who are not um, World War Two buffs, um, Stalingrad was the bloodiest battle, not only in World War Two, but in the history of warfare as we know it and in recorded history. It went from August 23rd, 1942 to February 2nd, 1943. So it's a nine month uh, or seven month battle, whatever that is. Um, There were 2.2 million combatants between the Russian side and the German side and 2 million casualties. It is horrific. It is an absolutely horrific part of the war. Um, because essentially what happened was um, Hitler marched on Stalingrad. The war started changing direction and he essentially leaves the million soldiers that like that he had sent into Stalingrad to die. He orders them not to retreat because he needs the distraction and he just leaves them fighting Russians. And there's just this brutal battle that goes on four months um for for six months of just of people shooting at each other and innocent civilians all over and they ravaged stalingrad and neither hitler nor stalin particularly care about what's going on there um but that's not what the book's about what the book is about is it is there's no real main character you see some people multiple times but it is letters it, it is um a comic about soldiers on the ground during the battle of of stalingrad told through the conceit that they're each writing letters back home to their mothers or their wives or their kids or whoever and you don't necessarily like typically, I think Katya, you said like when we when we normally depict Nazis, we you know we essentially make these this comic booky bad guy where they're Heil Hitler and you know you see the swastika and you know this isn't that this is you see people that have no human context and it's like right. well that's not accurate right instead this is a book about a whole bunch of eighteen through twenty two year old guys in combat fatigues and from page to page you don't necessarily know if you're looking at a Russian or as at a German because it doesn't actually matter. It's just a bunch of guys scared they're going to die and writing back home to say goodbye to their mom or their wife for like a hundred pages. It is brutal. And it's, and you do eventually figure out like, Oh, okay. That guy's Russian. That guy is German. And it's really hard to like, it does. It's essentially absolutely trying to humanize 
not the Nazi army, but the 18 year old kid who just got drafted right. in the Nazi army and is fighting because it's his job. Um, and so there's letters that are like, um, dear mom, uh, I hope this letter finds you well. I am stationed wherever. Um, it's been three days since I last ate because I gave the last of my rations to some poor Russian woman and her children because they reminded me of me of you and my little sister. You know, like that's a letter. And it's just this guy being sad. You know, I hope I survive this. I don't know if I will. If I don't tell everybody I love them. Goodbye. And that's the end of the letter, <laughs> you know, and you see and it's just a bunch of guys writing these horrific letters of, you know, back to their loved ones. And in the message of the book is essentially war is hell. Like there's no there's nothing. It's not really uplifting. It's a, it's a this is senseless yeah. because these two million people are just going to die. And it doesn't matter if they're Russian or German. Um, I think it originally yeah. came out in like 2016, but it was just translating in English this year. It is so good. If you are into thinky pieces, it is not a fun read <laughs> at all. No, it and, does not sound like a, yeah. like a like a nice little bedtime story. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's the, also the, yeah. the thing that I mean, what you're talking about is like the thing I think about Jonah Rabbit. I mean, I think that there is maybe this is probably another episode to talk about, like how how you deal with depicting sort of like what is from our perspective I mean, I mean, the Nazis are sort of like, I think from anyone's perspective at this point, the bad guys. But right. I think there's something powerful in like reminding people like that there's, yes, there's evil, awful people, but that so many people in these wars are just trying to keep their heads down. And there's victims. ethical questions about that of whether or not that's right or whatever. But like, yeah, like you're saying, like these are 18 year old kids or like in Jojo Rabbit. In this case, he's literally like a nine, ten, 10 year old kid. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. In hearing you describe that map, I was reminded my response to Joe Sacco's Safe Area Garage, though, which the yes. the uh, very the much Bosnian, reminds me of that the Bosnian War, which same thing. Like it's brilliant. It's a br- brilliant read. It's a brutal read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's yeah, and know, at it, least the, and at least with Safe Area Garage. Uh, so for those for listeners who don't know this, because this is a book that Wayne and I love. And probably no one listening to this has ever heard of. Um, it is a documentary of the Bosnian War in comic book form. Yeah. Joe Sacco went and lived with people after the war and got to know them as people, as families. Uh, it, I mean, it's autobiographical because he's depicting himself talking to these people and becoming parts of their lives. And he gradually gets to them to open up about their experiences in the Bosnian war. Um, it's, it's brilliant, but it's a hard. Oh, read. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it, it's just, these are books that are just about trying to understand somebody's understand the human condition, not necessarily in the best way. Yeah. Anybody else have any comics that are maybe more uplifting than ours? <laughs> Giant nope. Days. <laughs> I, I, nope. Nope. I do have a TV show that's the complete opposite of this. Perfect. TV shows are good. Most of mine are goofy, but. It's Riverdale, right? No. TV shows. Yeah, Riverdale. Hannah's going to tell us all about why we love Riverdale. Uh, No. No, we're not. I I actually think that this actually to be considered more ridiculous than Riverdale at times. (laughs) Um, So it's not, it was not made in 2019, but it premiered on US Netflix in 2019, and it's called Back with the X. And it is the greatest TV show I've ever watched in my entire life, sort of. Um, 
<laughs> also, also, uh, no not going to talk about this, but Instant Hotel is also a reality. This is all Australian reality TV, and it and Australian reality TV is just delightful. Their version of The Bachelor so much better than ours. Anyway, back with the X. It's a self-contained season. It's it's like pretty short. I think it's like seven, eight episodes. And the premise is there are four couples who broke up, and now someone in the couple wants to get back together. And so, like, the couples meet up. Uh, and they like go on dates and they go on trips and they like live in each other's places for a couple of weeks. And then like at the end of the journey, they decide whether or not to get back together. And some of it is actually genuinely sweet and nice. Like one couple is an older couple who like fell in love when they were like super young, but he lived in Australia and she lived in the U S and she now lives in Durham, North Carolina. Super fun <laughs> to see all the landmarks hey. like Jordan Lake, um, by the way. So and, this is a reality uh, show. Yeah, it's a reality show. This it's also reality TV. This is in my Netflix recommendations, and I didn't know what it was because it looks so weird. Okay, you are selling this so much better than like the one than the two paragraph, I mean, the two sentence blurb. Keep going because yeah, I'm, so, I'm now excited about this. And I, oh yes. I, okay, I, that so makes like, way more sense. So like this, so like this couple is actually like sweet because like they had a legit reason to break up because like Australia. Like is far. the American South, yeah, it's a long not way from North Carolina, yeah, as not, some of our Australian colleagues can attest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, not not a very like easy distance to like close. Also, like you know, they're now like in their fifties, sixties, so you know, technology wasn't super great back then. So anyway, they like give it another go. It's really nice to see like this couple reconnect. Some of it is like ridiculous drama like there's this one couple who's super annoying and i cannot i i puzzled over this the entire watching i can't figure out who is actually the villain in this relationship him or her <laughs> and i think that they just might be bad for each other um they just deserve each other it's you know yeah. no 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 one it's deserves the him of the universe no one deserves him. Um, also, there's this. Like, my favorite Wait, which is why the universe is trying to put them together, so it's not to yeah. inflict them on anyone else. My favorite couple, and my favorite couple, I mean, she definitely needs to ditch him, and I won't spoil whether or not she does. Is like they, this couple was together for six years, and she was devoted for him to him, and like he treated her like crap, and like clearly, like she was in an emotionally abusive relationship. And now he wants to get back together because I think he's realized like what a good thing he has. And he just is like a Superman child and doesn't even have plates in his apartment. And it's just full of protein powder. Oh, I remember you telling me about this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that she gets her revenge in like really subtle ways during the show. (laughs) And it's just really fun to watch. I mean, I don't like the American Bachelor. I think it's ridiculous. My sister and I clash over this. But something about this show just really excites me. Like, it's just fun. Even Josh got into it by the end and he doesn't put up with nonsense. (laughs) Um, So if you don't like reality TV, try this or Instant Hotel, which is the other Australian reality TV show on Netflix, which is like people do Airbnbs and like all these Airbnbs um, like are put into competition against one another and like the hosts like stay in each other's Airbnbs. And some of it is more real than others, but um, it's just quite fun to watch. And uh, there's just something like what I'm getting from this is just Australian reality TV is worth a watch. Yes, that is, that is what I'm saying. I actually will say that not on Netflix, the first set, like season of the Australian Bachelor 
is actually a touching love story. Also, simultaneously, great female friendships are formed, and it's really sweet to watch, which I would not mm-hmm. I'd ever say about a you know dating show where you live with your competition. <laughs> but it is what it is. So anyway, Australian reality TV. Watch back with the ex. You'll see a super cute cat, if nothing else. <laughs> super cute cat! Sold. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, That's what it took. You, you, Hannah has a, a heartfelt explanation about friendships and long enduring love. And Katya's like, uh huh, uh huh. Ooh, cat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought we decided earlier this, this episode that I didn't like people. So, yeah, That's I'm true. surprised. Also, it's true. all of us. Australian reality TV, like they don't always see in Australia, but Australia is really beautiful. So you like, but they also like go on trips to like South Africa and stuff. So you can see like lush places that you want to go. Um, so anyway, watch back with the X and then we can talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Speaking of Netflix, I have, um, a Netflix show that ended this year um so i guess i'm i'm recommending the entire series it's only three seasons it premieres in 2016 but it ended this year um the third season was this year and it's called easy it is uh the it's created by a guy named joe swanberg it is um an anthology tv show wherein you'll see a lot of very, very famous people because the nice thing about an anthology show is you can kind of bring in a star for only one or two episodes. Um, Aubrey Plaza's on it on an, on an episode. Uh, um, Dave Franco's on several episodes. Um, Orlando Bloom is in an episode. Uh, so the premise of the show is every episode is about a different usually a couple maybe a group of friends but it's about a different probably romantic relationship in the same town i think they're in chicago it doesn't really matter um and it's about how are these people sort of navigating their lives and they're all you know they're related in a you know again sort of like with dreamers where you know certain characters will come into and out of uh different characters life so like maybe on maybe the babysitter on one episode is a teenage girl and there's another episode that's about her hanging out with her friends and then another episode might be about one of those friends parents or something and you're seeing people deal with their love lives and it's called easy but the idea of it is that none of their relationships are ever easy and you're supposed to sort of compare the relationships that go from you know maybe maybe one couple's trying to have a baby but another couple's dealing with their you know with their not having um any romantic relationship left after they've had three kids maybe somebody is just trying a significant other because they've been single for too long um mark Marin is in like three different episodes and he's in like one episode per season and you sort of see his characters progressing love life or failure to have a love life from season to season and it's just lots of really only slightly interrelated stories that have to do with love and when you put them all together it says this sort of it's joe swanberg's um exploration of the very concept of love it's um it's a it's it's in a genre called mumblecore which is this it's a it's it's naturalistic filmmaking um writing's not like it at all but visually the style 
that I think probably most relates is Kevin Smith's early work, like Clerks. It, it, it's, it's a very, the stories are all very small. So it is so good. And I recommend this to everybody. So I actually have something that's a little bit off the track for our show. Although this is something I kind of wish we talked about more. I just never have an idea. It's um, YouTube. Which I have a weird, I've, I'm like weirdly fascinated by YouTube because I think it's like a, just a very str- like what's popular and like the different sort of movements that YouTube goes through. I'm fascinated both as like a media scholar watching how YouTube has evolved uh, over, I mean, many years at this point. Um, and it's also something that I find kind of compelling because it's the things that succeed on YouTube and the things that I find interesting are often things that are sometimes maybe inspired by television but wouldn't really fit the format Um, or there's something that's like completely much weirder. So I have two channels actually, Um, both of them for cooking reasons, um, because I Mm -hmm. do like to eat the food. And even if I'm not eating the food, at least watch other people eat tasty food um, while I'm (laughs) sitting at my dissertation table being very sad with my sandwich. Um, (laughs) The first one is not super deep cut, but it's the gourmet make series from Bon Appetit. Um, Because it's just delightful. Um, it's the kind of the same way if you enjoyed the Great British Bake Off and sort of like the idea of like wholesome television. Um, I think Gourmet Makes is a kind of a similar vibe for me, even though it's not a competition show and it's not British. So basically the concept is uh, a professional, formerly professional uh, pastry chef who's now an editor at Bon Appetit, um, Claire, basically remakes gourmet versions of like common snack foods and candy. So like there's a Pop Rocks episode, there's a Hot Pockets episode. Um, and it's all about, and it's not just like, here's the thing and here's how to remake it. It's the, watching her, the process of designing the recipe. So mostly it's like, a, it's like anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes of watching, like watching her kind of like struggle with trying to make something that was never intended to be made by a home cook. Um, the Pop Rocks episode is particularly great because sort of like that is not something that anyone could possibly recreate in a home kitchen because it's really hot sugar formed under pressure. Uh, she does. <laughs> she, well, she Attempts not to. really, but she okay. tries. Okay. Um, and it's kind of, I don't know. And it's, it's, it's amazing because you learn through the, like I learned through the show and I've since watched other things that Bon Appetit has done, although I think that the gourmet makes is for me like the best thing that they do is that it's like the most adorable. It's like the office in real life. Everyone is like very like goofy and weird um, and like oddly compelling. And I realized that they probably put the most like screen friendly and amusing people in the entire office in the background for her to talk to. Um, so like, I do not imagine by any stretch of the imagination, this is what it's actually like to work at Bon Appetit. Um, but there's something kind of like endearing about it. And it's kind of glorious because it's, it's, it's half cooking show, half sitcom and it's on YouTube. And it's also one of the few YouTube comment sections that I ever actually look at because it's not mainly people being awful. Um, it's usually sure, actually very sure adorable. This is on the internet. The internet is only people being awful. I know. I think, well, I think part of it is also because it's, uh, it's a major, it's, it's supervised by a major magazine company and I'm sure there is somebody going through and editing. Oh, pruning. Okay. Moderating the comment section. Okay. Right. So whether or not it's actually enduring in real life is, is, is (laughs) questionable. Um, and then the other one, um, and also, of course, neither of these are new this year, but of course, new episodes are always coming out. So it's sure, new ish. Um, the other one I wanted to mention, just because this is a very 
weird YouTube channel that has oddly become part of our family Christmas tradition. So it's been on my mind, um, which is also weird to say that a YouTube channel is part of our family Christmas traditions, which is feels very yeah, like it's you know, 2019. 2019. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. It counts. <laughs> uh, but it is a YouTube channel called The Life of Boris, um, which is so for I don't know if this has come up in the show before, but I am partially of Slavic ancestry. So my family is uh, which, you know, if the name Katya didn't kind of click you off. Uh, but my family is Russian, in part Russian and Polish. And so most of our family recipes are Russian and Polish. Life of Boris is a we, no one knows where he's from because he likes to keep it a secret, but he's from somewhere in the Slavic world. And he basically has this it's half it's a parody show where he basically is like the most extreme stereotype of like a young Slavic male or um, this is generally a derogatory term, but Gopnik, Gopnik, excuse me, uh, but never call anyone that generally okay. speaking. <laughs> it's basically like saying it's like it's like say like somebody's a hooligan, but at a much more it's usually like I think based on context, it's usually much more offensive than okay. that. Um, Swearing in languages that does, I don't speak. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Not quite swearing, but it's not a nice thing to say to somebody. Okay, anyway. Uh, and he does he, he does uh, like video game reviews and it's mainly just being really goofy, goofy and making jokes about like Slavic culture and being Slavic. And the best part, though, is if you are going to go watch even like if you're just going to watch one video from this guy, go watch the cooking videos. He does these really goofy narrated cooking videos of actually legit recipes. Like they're really goofy and stupid, but like the great thing is he he cooks the way my grandmother cooked. Ooh, that's cool. Which is why it's become part of our family traditions mm-hmm. is because we were watching up my my brother and I started watching this stuff like because it was silly and we're like, oh, like this some of this stuff is at least with, like neither of us has ever grown up grew up uh, in Eastern Europe, but like some of this stuff is at least is familiar to us. My dad started watching it with us and he's like, oh my God, there's like so many things from my childhood. <laughs> and we're like sitting there and like watching his recipes and my dad's like, oh yeah, my, like my, you know, basically like my auntie or my grandmother or my great grandmother like used to make that. Um, and exactly that way. And we've actually started like, so a lot of his recipes like are very familiar to ours. So like the paragi episode, we've made his shabrek, which is basically deep fried paragi. Um, and I realized Pittsburghers are Pittsburghers in this, on this, uh, this, uh, online space would call them pierogies. Pierogies, yes. <laughs> you would make me sad, but yeah, it's. <laughs> It's great. Also, there's an adorable cat, so which explains why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a very long-winded explanation, but it was, it's great. All just it's designed hilarious. so you could get the cat comment in. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know how you mind works. Say, I, I, I will say, uh, if you are not, it, it, it is a weird, it kind of reminds me in some ways of, um, it's not as irritating as Borat, but I think some people, if you, if you are Eastern European, I can understand why some people might find it offensive. There's definitely like a lot of Slava booze on there. Um, so take it with a grain of salt, but um, at least for our, my family, it's it's like a fun, weird thing to kind of bond over, and we enjoy it. And it's an excuse to sit around and drink shots of vodka with your parents. Hey, that's, I mean... <laughs> Well, do you need an excuse? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, who doesn't want that? (laughs) Um, I I don't want to go in depth on it, but I don't have a YouTube network. I just figured 
it worked. I, I don't know when I'll ever mention these two shows again, because I don't think either is worth doing a whole episode on. But my my network uh, from 2019 that I think definitely is things you missed is the DC Universe Network, which came out and we've mentioned I think we've mentioned Swamp Thing briefly on one episode before and I don't want to talk about Swamp Thing I want to talk about the two shows on this network that are actually good that no one watches because no one's paying for this network except for me and I'm only doing it because I need it for you know for work I need it for my dissertation but um the show's Doom Patrol, which is critically acclaimed and suppose uh, from what I hear, probably is going to move to HBO soon when they when they launch HBO Max. It is very, very good. If you are a comic fan, you'll know. Um, yeah, you'll know. I saw the first uh, episode free on YouTube. Yeah. And it's very heavily influenced by Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol. It is all the wackiness of Grant Morrison. Plus um, the self-awareness and trying to deal with the same concepts that he dealt with back then. If you're a fan of the old comics and you want to see Flex Mentalo, Flex Mentalo does show up on this show. For people who haven't read Flex Mentalo, Flex Mentalo is a um, he is the hero of the beach from comics. You know, if you ever saw the man who made the insult that made a man out of Mac and he becomes a buff guy in leopard skin trunks and beats up bullies. Flex Mentalo is that guy is a superhero. <laughs> um, my favorite character on the show is Danny the Street. Danny the Street is a self-aware, sentient, um, queer, non-binary street, as in a city like block. He, like he was in the comics. <laughs> yes. Well, no. He, they very specifically use the word. They very specifically on this because it's because when he wrote it, when yeah. Morrison wrote it originally, he referred to him as he on the new show. Yeah. Danny is a they because the language yeah. has changed. Danny is a is a gender queer street, and I don't mean I don't mean he is a person. I mean they are the city block. Danny has buildings. Danny communicates by changing. Um, their own signs so like so like and and, and can yeah. appear in any city in, in the world yes danny is a street with teleportation powers and if you are an ostracized person in society say you're gay or trans and you're not and you're not getting along with the 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 rest of your community Danny will appear to you and offer to let you live on them. And then you just become a part of Danny and the people who live on Danny, the street. Oh my God. I love this so much. They call themselves Danny's <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice. I so love amazing. everything about this. Yes. This yes. is so beautiful. It is so amazing. I want, and, I want, yeah. I want more of this. I want it's, more of yeah. sentient superhero streets. Yes. And it's, and, and it's, and um, so Danny, the streets, my favorite character in it, but yeah. there's also robot man. There's um, it, there. It's just, it's superheroes, mostly with very loser powers, just trying to like, sort of make their way in the world. <laughs> um. And then the other show, which probably people who are going to be more familiar with, is Harley Quinn, which is a cartoon starring Kaylee Cuoco of The Big Bang Theory as Harley Quinn. And the nice thing about the DC Universe um, shows is they know that no one is watching. So they just throw caution to the wind and say, fuck it. And this is a there's been there's been four episodes so far. It just started. Um, and each episode's half an hour. And this is uh, Kaylee Cuoco is not only starring as um, as Harley Quinn, she's also the producer. So it's essentially her her feminist ideology and message 
as a cartoon starring Harley Quinn. So it's uh, the premise of the show is she just broke up with the Joker and now she's trying to be taken seriously as her own supervillain. <laughs> and and, hang, and she moves in. With, yeah, she moves in with Poison Ivy and they I mean, there are heists and stuff, but mostly it's just sort of them complaining about stuff and making and taking um advantage of the fact that no one is watching so they can they can just decide that they're that they're swearing um episode two is all about i guess two or three it's all about uh very minor dc villain that no one's ever heard of wayne you'll know it dr psycho Oh yeah. Dr. Psycho gets kicked <laughs> out of the out of the supervillain community for calling Wonder Woman the C word. And then Lex Luthor does a does a press conference and he's just like, no, no, we're bad guys. But no, we don't we don't stand for that. <laughs> so, so, then, <laughs> Dr. Psycho is a 1940s Wonder Woman villain. Yes. And and Dr. Psycho is just eliminated from the supervillain community and can't find work being on anybody's crew because everybody's just like no 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 and then but harley harley is forced to sort of take him in because harley's trying to start her own crew but no one wants to no one wants to be on harley's crew because oh you're just the joker's girlfriend and she's like we broke up and so so basically it's it's like all these cast-offs trying to sort of make their way in supervillain world so um, it's is this great. like what you want birds of prey to be it would it would yeah it would i mean i don't think it will be but it would be great if it were <laughs> yeah it would be great if the if the movie the birds of prey movie coming out is that um but i i had low expectations for this and i laughed constantly and i i understand what she's trying to do with it um it there's things like uh harley and and ivy's bisexuality is very much hinted at but not made a big deal of yet. Um, in fact, the only time it's been directly addressed is Harley says after Ivy um, helps her in one situation, Harley's like, why are you always helping me? And Ivy says, look, I love you. Don't make a big deal out of it. And then just moves on. Um, it's, it's great. It's, um, and I assume they're going to go more places with that. Um, right now, it's a lot of Harley dealing with her breakup with Joker and Ivy trying to convince her, no, don't do that thing where you go back to him over and over again. It deals with the abusive nature of their relationship, which is sort of always like people write academic think pieces about like, you know, this is not relationship goals. Their relationship is horrible, but the comics usually try to present their relationship as, you know, wonderful and sweet, despite the fact that they're evil. Um, this very much deals with the right. fact that you no know, Joker is an abusive, abusive asshole. Yeah, he is a, he's an abusive right. asshole and she is, you know, and she is a battered woman who stayed, who has stayed with them. So that's what this show is about, you know, getting out from under it, except she's Harley and she's nuts, you know, <laughs> Right, so, you know. Uh, music. Uh, uh, Bad Ideas, um, the album by Tessa Violet, who's an independent artist, and like she uses like crowdsourcing um, to like fund her stuff, and had like a YouTube channel. That's how she got a big start. Came out this year, and like uh, if you like pop music, like Taylor Swift pop music, which I don't really like, but if you like Kesha, I think that if you like somewhere between those two, you'll really enjoy Tessa Violet. All of her lyrics are gold. Uh, she has a song called Wishful Drinking that's really fun. <laughs> um, like, all, all of her, like, lyrics are just, like, really fun and, like, ironic, but not in an annoying way. And uh, I went, like, she came to Durham, actually, and, like, tickets to her show are $15, so Josh and I went. And at one point, she talked about, like, her experience as 
a kid watching Sailor Moon, and I was like, yep, <laughs> yep, this speaks to me. So anyway, uh, you should check out Bad Ideas. Those um, of the 90s, yeah. Yeah, you, it's, you know, Spotify, YouTube, wherever, music streams. Uh, like, it's a lot of fun, and, like, she, like, I, you know, like, uh, I knew the song Bad Ideas, and then I went back through, like, all the stuff that she's done, both, like, for this album and what she's put out before, and I was like, oh, no, it's not just one good song. She just, like, has a good song after good song. So, anyway, check it out. Um, I, I have, it's a band, they're not a new band, I discovered about a year and a half ago, but they have a new album this year, so they count. Uh, band, <laughs> a band from Canada called The Glorious Sons. Um, and, and they're just, I mean, they're, they're kind of a rock band, you know, like they're, they're, they're kind of straight up rock. I went to see, I discovered them as an opening band. I went to see the struts who I've mentioned on the show before they're who are my current favorite live band. And, and they did a single with Kasia. Um, yes, they did. <laughs> uh, I, I, I went to see it. I was in Cleveland and Glorious Sons came out. There's like six guys on stage and lead singer just kind of long hair and barefooted and has a ripped hoodie on. And it's like, uh, okay, it's going to be some be like 90s grunge kind of thing. And by the third song, they completely hooked me. And a big part of it was their, their live performance. Uh, I've seen them three times now in the last year and a half. Um, I guess the best way I can describe it is the singer songwriter, Brett Emmons, is I, he's like the really, really smart, really, really sensitive guy who grew up in a trailer park. I mean, that's, that's not his background, but it's like, there's this really down to earth world he sings about with drug abuse and relationships and, and drinking and, and just, but he's obviously hurt by it in many ways. So just that, that outsider, the, 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 the bright kid who doesn't fit in, in that world yet it is his world and he's trying to make sense of it. So lyrically, they really grabbed me. I just, I also find this to be a really, you know, compulsive rock band, just like they, they have some really good grooves and, and uh, do what they do really, really well. His live performance, there's, there's a sense watching them live that you're watching someone in the middle of a breakdown. <laughs> God, and, and that's like part, on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, and it's it's compelling. There's sort of a train wreck element to it because, like, you're watching him and you're not quite sure if this is is the stage persona or is the catharsis of performing the only thing keeping him out of the hospital right now. Uh, hmm. So yeah, I just um, I, I I find it really compelling, and lyrically, there's just a lot of really nice stuff going on. Um, they did a song called "Sawed Off Shotgun" that apparently his the re- the record label had some issues with the lyrics because you know he was talking about going out and buying a sawed off shotgun and with school shootings and all that stuff. And he he made a response video out of it. He didn't do a song. He just he wrote a response that that reads like poetry. Um, and it's just him talking about how he won't apologize. This is my experience of the world and talking about you know, people hurting. And over the course of the video he made for this, it just has lots and lots of people holding up signs that says SOS, sawed off shotgun, except in this context, you realize that the song's a cry for help. It's not mm-hmm. saying go out and shoot people. Uh, and so just really well done response to the criticism as to what, as to what this song was. Um, so their album came out in like September. It's called A War on Everything. And I think it's their 
third full length album. Um, so yeah, I just I really dig them more than anybody I've heard for for several years. Uh, I'm listening to them pretty compulsively for the last year or so. And one other music related thing, and then I'm going to stop talking. Um, it's not music, but it, it comes out of music. The the singer, performer, songwriter Nick Cave, who I've been a fan of for a long, long, long time, uh, just in this past year started. There's a website called the Red Hand Files, and it's basically he opened it up to his fan base to ask me questions, and he's responding to them, and they have been brilliant. Um, he deals with the nature of art and the nature of grief and some funny stuff. Um, back in the, the 80s, he was just a heroin-addicted, apocalyptic Southern goth preacher, and he's become this really amazingly well-spoken, thoughtful man of letters in the last 30 years. Uh, some of his writing is just beautiful, and the the openness and honesty with which he he answers people's questions. Uh, I've seen a lot of the stuff shared by people who aren't necessarily Nick Cave fans, uh, different, different websites. Uh, about three years or so ago, he lost a teenage son to a horrible accident. So he's been dealing with his own grief and it has changed his approach to his art and his audience. And that comes through in the Red Hand Files uh, a lot. I, I'm i subscribed to it as a just I get updated emails whenever he sends a new one out. But there is a website that archives all of them. And uh, just beautiful uh, for someone who, say, 30 years ago was just loud and angry and sticking veins in his needles. Uh, he's he's putting out just some really amazingly well thought out, intelligent, beautiful, beautiful work right now. So that was an uplifting one to end on. Oh, for okay. us. <laughs> Look, there's a cat. <laughs> oh, I, man 2019 was a dark time for us i guess well, I, was, I was gonna do the result we resolved nothing but like i this was a nice little episode where we just kind of here's some stuff for us to check out like i don't here's, think there was a resolving yeah, i just yeah there's a lot of stuff i want to check out so thanks guys yeah, yeah. well yeah, we, this was we nice really, yeah. we didn't really debate it but, well i mean we discussed things that we all had in common but we didn't yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we didn't argue the, that the much. closest thing to a disagreement was that you didn't like in um, not in glorious bastard you didn't like once upon a time in hollywood but even that that was that was way too pleasant for this and, show and, and, and i can i can understand not liking it <laughs> <laughs> so we're so, gonna have to, next next week we're gonna have to fight yeah <laughs> well actually the schedule demands we do yes i know yeah. that, that's a, <laughs> No, this was nice. It's a, it's 2019. It's the last show of the year. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy and New we can Year. End the year. We can end on a happy note. <laughs> Yay! Before we get all cutthroat next time and, and <laughs> uh, talk about for for listeners, we are bringing back the box office game. Yes. Yeah, we got fighting for that one. Yeah, but there got to be an awful lot of research before then. Too. Yeah, we'll get the results of this year, and we will, and we will give an update on you know some changes to the game, and we're gonna pick next week. It's gonna be really exciting, so come back for that. But in the meantime, you know, thank you guys for doing this show, Hannah. Where can everybody find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers. No guarantees. I've stopped talking about Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, is there you ever, ever stop talking about Star Wars? Yeah. No, like, no, even if it's like a lull, it eventually comes back. It always I mean, come back. But honestly, like, 
I don't really want to talk about Star Wars on Twitter right now because I liked it and I enjoyed it for the most. I mean, you can hear our caveats about that on the actual Star Wars show, but everybody on my timeline is like, I hated it. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to you right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. I, well, okay. Here, 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 we'll get some some controversy. Hannah, you don't really like Mandalorian, do you? (laughs) Uh, Well, I haven't. I haven't finished it because I've been okay. saving it. The first, my, my critique of the first couple of episodes is like they forgot women existed for the most part. Oh, that gets better. Yeah, I, I've heard. Better. I heard it gets better. But okay. like, it's just such a, it's so weird to like binge watch the J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson trilogy. And like women are just like in, like in the background and in the forefront. And if you like count the main characters or like secondary major characters, it, it kind of like bounces out. And then you go to the Mandalorian. It's like, dude, 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 unnamed woman, dude, dude, dude. I mean, like in the first couple of episodes, I will admit. Yeah, you're on, you're, you're on episode two or three, I would, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've been saying. I'm trying to it. not spoil stuff for you. Don't it gets spoil. better for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I know that some actresses I really like are in the back half of the season. I look forward to it. I'm very excited mm-hmm. about Star Wars shows existing because I didn't think that they ever mm-hmm. would in a live action capacity, no matter what George Lucas said. But and they're never going away now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Till the heat death that. of the universe, we will have Star Wars. Katya. Um, as always, you can find me at just that nerd kid on Instagram. Also, we could probably cut this out of the episode, but I was actually noticed in public this weekend. Granted, it was in a fabric store. But somebody came up to me and were like, knew my handle, and they were like, "Are you just that nerd kid on Instagram?" And I was like, "This is the one time in my life I will ever be cool." That's great. That is so um, not getting cut out yeah. of this episode. That's awesome. Do not cut you, that out of this hey, episode. No, no, not at all. No. You, have, you, have a, you have like I, a Ravelry fan. That's so cool. Actually, it's a sewing fan. Oh, okay. Ravelry um, is knitting. That's different. Oh, I don't know where she. Know, well, okay, so she knows you from from Instagram, or for, I don't know where she knew you from, from Instagram. Okay, apparently, yeah, I'm an Instagram fan. You are you are internet I know. famous. I feel I, I feel very cool. Uh, hopefully, we're getting fabric sponsorships now because good lord. Um, yeah, no promises. My my Instagram is mainly uh, knitting and sewing with occasional D and D excerpts, and lately um, Polish food. Oh, <laughs> That's so cool. You have I. I, I I I don't know that I've ever been. I, no, I have been recognized for stuff back then. I used, used to get wrestling, recognized for wrestling on occasion. I've never been recognized for the show. That's what you I, want to do. Tell, you know, tell us how much you love the show from this show. No, for, well, actually, yes, but like they were friends of yours, so like I don't think it really counts. I was recognized for the <laughs> other podcast I did back in the day. That was a oh. lost podcast, and someone in Starbucks was like you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if that was a good you or a bad you. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not sure, but I was recognized. Um, Wayne, what about you? Uh, you can find me mostly on my couch these days. So. <laughs> it's gonna be great. You've said that the last couple of episodes. Yeah. It's gonna be great when people just start showing up. It's like, hey, I'm I'm here to see the couch. Um, <laughs> we should just have a future episode one day where we're all on Wayne's couch. Oh, video podcast. We don't talk. It's oh, just yeah. us sitting there, just eating popcorn, just staring directly at the, <laughs> at the screen for an hour. Maybe, maybe we should just like watch a movie together and see what happens. Yeah. But not, but not comment on it. Just like yeah, quietly, yeah. munch, munch. I mean, just like hang out, just hang out yeah. like normal just humans. You know, yeah. on I think we might be have some free time in April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come out, hang out on Wayne's couch. It'd be great. <laughs> uh, let's see. You can follow me 
on Twitter at Chris Maverick, occasionally on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, all at Vox Popcast. The show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we discuss future topics. You can give us comments on episodes that you enjoyed. Let us know what you want us to talk about in the future. Give us feedback about what you'd like to talk about on various episodes. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show by goosing the algorithm and making us more popular so that we too can be recognized in fabric stores all over this great world of ours <laughs> because that is the dream <laughs> what if what if people listen to this show to hate listen to us oh, well then they should still leave us a five-star review so that we become more popular so that other people can hate listen to us <laughs> that would be great i don't care. yeah it's like the youtube algorithm the youtube algorithm doesn't actually care if you like or dislike a video it's either way it counts it as engagement uh apple does care if you like uh, if you dislike it so so please like us <laughs> youtube youtube does not care yeah i know so anytime you dislike a sh- dislike a, a video that you hate you're actually you're doing the creator them. a favor yeah, you're, you're helping them yeah youtube's weird so but anyway um as we close out the year 2019 i would like to thank everybody for listening to this show enjoy it this has been a blast for me the the last two years of doing this is just it's great to just be able to come on here and just talk about you know random things that we happen to enjoy especially an episode like this where it's just like here are some opinions and you know this uh, this show was very much just stuff we like but usually being able to have an audience to talk about sort of academic thoughts but not to just the you know the 12 other nerdy academics in the world who care about that exact same spot of academia that you do but being able to share it with like sort of real fans I enjoy this. So thank you to all the listeners and thank you to all three of my co-hosts for just doing this crazy thing with me every week. This has been a blast. I enjoy this so much. I really do. Even with all the editing, which is a pain in the ass. I mean, I just, I, I I so enjoy being able to have these conversations with you guys every week. So thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I'd also like, yeah, you're welcome but I'd also like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out once again thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye, bye. says hide and seek are we really going to play that those are the rules. So there's no way for me to win, right? Stay hidden, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you.